This episode is brought to you by our friends at Unibuddy. Unibuddy is a student engagement platform that helps higher education recruitment, marketing, and admissions professionals attract, engage, and convert prospective students. Unibuddy helps students make one of the most important purchasing decisions of their entire life, and that decision is where to go to college. One of the ways they do this is by giving prospects real-time access to real people at your university. Here's how it works. A prospective student named Sam stumbles upon your school's business major website page, and he starts reading about your program offering. After a few seconds, a warm pop-up form invites Sam to chat with student ambassador Dan, who, you guessed it, is currently studying business at your university. After some quick niceties, Sam admits he's been looking at your school for some time now, but has yet to submit a formal inquiry or start an application. He's been to a couple of virtual recruitment events, but it's been hard to get a real feel for what life as a student, especially during these times, is actually like. Dan talks about his love of the entrepreneurship course he's taking, how challenging but rewarding Accounting 101 is, and how impressed he's been with your school's response to the challenges that COVID has thrown everyone's way. After 15 minutes of chatting with Dan, Sam books a chat with one of your admissions counselors for next week, and then he goes on to create an application account. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform, it's just one of Unibuddy's product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. It's totally game-changing. Don't get stuck in a prospective student's college shopping cart. Make the experience of accessing personalized peer-to-peer feedback as frictionless as possible. To learn more about Unibuddy and access a plethora of free resources to help you navigate student recruitment this year, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Unibuddy, and we'll ping you directly to Unibuddy's Learning Hub. Hey there, friends. It's Zach here from Enrollify, and this is another episode brought to you by just yours truly. So these uh, solo pods are, you all are giving me good feedback. You're feeding my ego, actually, so you better you better be careful there that, uh, that, you, uh, that you're enjoying these segments. So we got another one for you this week. So if you're if you hate these segments and really don't like hearing me just monologue for 25, 30, 35 ish minutes, then you might want to listen to something else. But um, I think you're gonna enjoy this week's episode. This is one that we prepared a little bit more for and have um, have a rough framework for the conversation that I think you guys are going to really get some value out of. This is gonna be a little bit more tactical. So um, let me know, as always, whether or not you find value in this content. Also, I realized, I don't think I said it just now. I don't know. I I think I suffer from short-term memory loss, actually. It's probably something that people that are verbal processors often struggle with or suffer from. Definitely fall into that, (laughs) that category. But I realized I often say, good morning or, you know, hey, everyone, happy morning to you. And I make the assumption that you all are listening to this podcast right as I'm recording it or right when we release it on Thursday mornings. 
Um, and I recognize that based off of looking at some of our analytics recently, most of you are actually listening to this days after or during the evening or, or you know, later in the afternoon. So I should probably drop that as my greeting. Anyhow, uh, I digress. <laughs> Let's jump into today's topic. So some of you might remember that last summer, late summer into the early fall, we did a secret shopper experiment. And what we did is we, and by we, I really mean uh, I was sort of the uh, guinea pig here. And I went and inquired at close to 80 different business schools. Again, these were business schools that weren't sort of, you know, household names, not in your first top 10, top 15, um, but also, you know, schools that were not, you know, bottom 10 or bottom 15. So, you know, U.S. News and World's Report, you can do, you can figure out who falls into this category, but basically anyone from sort of like rankings 20 um, through uh, 100-ish um, were folks that we went ahead and uh, inquired at. And the goal was really to understand a couple things. One, how had schools changed their comm flows in light of COVID? And also just how were folks differentiating themselves as higher ed became, um, you know, came under a, what I would just call a new layer of scrutiny than we've seen in a while. So that was, that was sort of the goal of the, the experiment. And um, I have some updated stats on the first 1000 emails that we received from these from these schools. So essentially what we did is we just filled out a simple inquiry form, right? Uh, every school's inquiry form is a little bit different. If they had like 20 plus fields and asked for like all sorts of information, we skipped them and or if like you were required, which by the way, schools, some schools still do, they require you to create an application account before you inquire, which I think is just total missed opportunity and totally ridiculous. So we ignored those folks. But we filled out those simple RMI forms, uh, that, which were mostly first name, last name, email, program of interest, and then maybe like one or two additional uh, questions. So I want to run through very quickly uh, the just some some of the more interesting stats that we found after analyzing these first 1,000 emails, and then talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned along the way with respect to email marketing that I think that you guys should uh, steal and, and sort of implement these frameworks and our tactics or uh, champion some of these ideas internally if you are not already doing so. So I just want to blast through a few, a uh, few fun statistics from these, uh, from these initial results. So 96%, okay. Of email subject lines did not include my name or any other personalization, uh, in that communication. So no, like Zach, your future dreams are realized here or nothing like Zach, you know, welcome to our community. No personalization whatsoever in subject lines. 48 hours is actually the average time it took for a human to email me. Um, and this excludes sort of like a thank you for completing the form communication that some schools had. But 48 hours, right, for somebody to actually get in contact with me or an email that says it's from an actual human to, to reach my inbox. Uh, notable, you know, significant period of time. That's, you know, two whole days. 33% of emails were from a personal email address, a non-institutional address. So, and I don't mean like, you know, Zach at gmail.com, but meaning um, they were from, you know, Zach at universityx.com as opposed to admissions at universityx.com, 
or .edu, I guess I should say. So 30, only 33% of emails were from a personal in, uh, personal email address, which I thought was shocking, right? I mean, that's that's that means that, you know, by and large, the communications that are coming via uh, Comflows are from a, dr- a general sort of admissions or, or in this case, like a grad admissions uh, email alias. 1.5% of subject lines contained ellipses. Sorry, 1.5% of emails contained ellipses in the subject line, which, again, this is somewhat tangential, but in all of the email tests uh, that we perform, and I shouldn't say all, in a significant number of the email tests that we perform, and definitely all the tests that we perform uh, here at Enrollify, emails with subject lines get opened way, way, way more um, than emails with any other sort of like punctuation. So whether that's an exclamation point or no punctuation, et cetera, there's something about like the teaser, I think, that the subject line gives that is just powerful. And uh, people want to understand, right, what's on the other side of, of this. It's, I don't know, suspenseful maybe. Anyhow, point being, only 1.5% of these emails contained ellipses, which I just thought was interesting. Also, if you ever want to know sort of like what, if you don't have time to do a bunch of A-B tests and you want to understand sort of like, okay, what what is winning? Or, you know, how, how are people getting people to open their emails? Just go subscribe to some of like the top leading brands, specifically like newer, maybe like startup brands, but that have made like significant headway uh, in the email marketing space. Look at email newsletters like Morning Brew and like The Hustle, for instance, and just start paying attention to their subject lines because all of them have ridiculous uh, open rates. So anyways, if that's a little pro tip for you. 17% of emails stressed urgency in subject lines by using the words now or time. So in subject lines, right, 70, 17% of them said like, your time to apply is now, or, uh, you know, it's, it's time to take the next step in your application. So, um, honestly, I, I, I was surprised by this because I thought, uh, based off of some of the other email audits that I've done, there there tends to be a lot of like now used. But again, this was a post inquiry Comflow, not like a post app Comflow. So um, you know maybe that's maybe that's some of the reason why that percentage is a little bit lower than we might expect. Seven percent of emails contain exclamation points in the subject lines and/or preview text, right? So you know seven percent contain a exclamation point and only 1.5% contained in ellipses, even though we know based off of lots of testing that we've done that ellipses tend to outperform. 41% of emails contained an apply now button or link in their first communication. So I know this is like, this is like heated debate and I don't know, I do go back and forth a little bit here in whether or not like at least one link to an apply now button or link, you know, to your app page should be in that first communication. <sighs> but here's here's the deal. Like I inquired, I asked for information, right? I didn't miss your apply now button. It's the largest, most prominent sort of call to action on your entire website if you're like 99% of schools. So there's a reason I didn't click that, right? And that reason is because I wanted to speak to a human or I wanted more context or whatnot. So... Anyways, I think, I don't know what I think, but <laughs> at the very least, I think that ensuring that there are multiple contact 
content opportunities, multiple content pathways in that first communication. Uh, that And that apply now is certainly not the most prominent of calls to action, which it is for most schools most of the time, is essential. Again, I asked for more information, right? I, if, I, if I wanted to apply, I know where to do that. So oftentimes, apply now is still the most prominent CTA, and I would argue it shouldn't be. So I'll let that stand there. <laughs> 12% of emails contained the word apply in the subject line. Um, actually less few you know fewer than I than I thought um, I'm actually proud of, of folks for not including apply in more emails I think that that's like a sure way to get a delete if in fact you know folks aren't ready to, to to make that move again it's sort of what I was saying earlier is like if folks are ready to apply they know where to do that like the purpose of the of, of post inquiry conflow is eventually to get people to apply I would just argue you should never include that in the subject line right like why there's there's no they understand if they see an email coming from your institution they they know what you want right it's not shocking it shouldn't be shocking for them to sort of like open up and see that you want them to apply right like there's there's no like illusion that oh you know hey no i just wanted to check in with you i'm the university of you know waterloo and i just wanted to see how you're doing right like no no one expects that from an institution so Keep the applies for once you've got their attention, once they've opened your, your email, no need to throw that in a subject line in most contexts. Unless you've got data that proves uh, proves me wrong. Please, please, if you do, share it with me. 4.5% of emails contained a student story or a link to a student story. Only 4.5% of like all of these 1,000 emails, right, had links in student uh, links to student stories, right? Even though we know, we know, and this is like, there's so much data out there that says that prospective students want to hear from current students they want to hear from alumni right they want to hear from people that have actually experienced the program why aren't more student stories linked in conflows i don't know you tell me bowing fruit missed opportunity 90 percent of schools failed to include a student story or testimonial in their first three communications with me right 90 percent okay of schools in their the first three emails that they sent had no link to a student story that's insane it's insane, okay? Just let that sink in. 20% of reply emails that were from a coordinator had an institutional reply address like MBA program at University X, which I I get, like, right, for managed, managerial purposes. But, I mean, it's just there's, there's nothing worse than, like, seeing, like, Jim's face at the bottom of an email, hitting reply to talk to program coordinator Jim, and then having it default to a University X at you know, university or program X at university Y.edu, right? It's just, it just shows that it's not genuine. It's like, okay, if you're going to have the reply address be something that's team-wide or in institutional-wide, then just be upfront that this email is from the university of Y. Um, don't, don't, don't be sneaky, okay? Just no one's got time for that. 50% of schools sent me information unrelated to my request. Okay, this is this is shocking. Well, sorry. This is not shocking. This is concerning. 50% of schools immediately enrolled me in other kinds of communications, like their newsletters or, you know, I, I got an email from an institute at one of the schools that I inquired at, which means that people, whatever CRM they're using is just like really not well segmented. Um, and or there's some sort of back-end trigger that says if Zach, if prospect 
fills out inquiry form, also send them 27,000 other communications that they don't really care about. I even actually got one. Um, I don't know how I got this, but somehow it like thought I was a student uh, in this program and it was like from a faculty member. And I, I read it three times because I was like, is this just like a really smart, like, like are they are they trying to pretend like I'm already there and faculty Dr. So-and-so is trying to like be buddy buddy with me. And then I realized like, no, like this, this is definitely a mistake. Like I, I have no idea why I'm enrolled in. It was a, it was, is a accounting. Um, it was like a master's in accounting program or something like that. Um, even though I had inquired about their MBA. So anyways, <laughs> segmentation, it's very, very important, right? Like totally hurts your brand. Uh, if all of a sudden I, I ended up reporting it as spam. Sorry guys, but I did. Um, because it was just, that's not cool. Not cool. 60% of emails failed to craft any original preview text. Okay. This is a pet peeve of Zach's. What is preview text? If you don't know what preview text is, it's that little snippet of text that you see before you open the email, not the subject line, but if you're in Gmail or Outlook or whatever email service provider that you use, you always see a little snippet of text below the subject line before you actually open the communication. Now, if for most ESPs, I don't know if this is actually true definitively, so don't quote me on this for everybody, but for most ESPs, you have the opportunity, uh, they'll show like, uh, they'll default to bringing in that first like line of text if there is no preview text. So if, unless otherwise specified, your preview text just includes like, hey, Zach, thanks for following up on this report, right? Or whatever the first like sentence of that, of that communication is not crafting original preview text is just a huge mistake from like a marketing perspective. Like that is like, that is like coveted real estate, right? You've got the subject line and then you've got the preview text. Those two things, right, are the most important factors in trying to get people to open your communication and view what it is that you have to say. Um, total, total, total missed opportunity to not make that custom and, and exciting and, and, um, and, and, you know, engaging. And 60% of folks didn't, uh, they, they failed to do that. All right. So those are just, you know, 13 kind of fast facts about this experiment, um, based again on these initial thousand communications that we've received. Um, and th th these sort of like helped lead to these six lessons, which I call six relatively unorganized and definitely certainly unpolished lessons that I've learned over the past six, you know, almost 12 months now of, of taking email marketing pretty seriously. And I wanted to share these six lessons with you because I think that this will help each of you as you think about your email marketing strategy for 2021 and beyond, and really just how you think about, um, you know, f uh, evaluating sort of like the performance of these campaigns and like what specifically you need to tweak and why. So lesson number one is to understand your competition. And by competition, right, I'm not talking about your competitor schools. What I'm talking about is think about your inbox right now. If you're by a computer or by your phone, just pop it open real fast, okay? And I want you to just scroll through. Give it a good, you know, couple scrolls. Specific, go to that promotions tab, right, which a lot of these communications are going to fall into anyways if you're on Gmail, and or if you're like me and you have zillions of unread messages in your inbox, just give your inbox a nice good scroll. And what you'll likely see is you'll see, a, a, you know, 
mix of communications from brands that you follow to, you know, Aunt Sally following up about the virtual Zoom family thing this weekend, asking for, you know, the meeting link again, because she lost it three times or, you know, like, and then you'll see like an email from your partner or then you'll see an email from, you know, your credit card company, whatever, right? There's, there's a lot going on in your inbox. Now, think about prospective students for a moment, right? And like, I think about like your messages are, are coupled are, you know, are, are a part of that sort of like flurry of communications, right? They are competing for the attention of the viewer, right? Which is the prospective student in the same way that West Elm is competing, the same way Airbnb is competing, the same way that all birds are competing. Now, the problem, right, is that the West Elms of the world, the Airbnbs of the world, the Allbirds of the world, they've got really interesting, beautiful, dynamic, like HTML heavy, you know, very well written, like copy and beautiful CTA offerings that are laced into their communications. And you contrast that, right, with the standard business, you know, uh, or just really any higher ed conflow where you get a hello, Zachary. Thank you for your interest in our program. Our program is the best thing since sliced bread, and here are four bullet points that we think are unique about our program that no one else has thought about before. When in all actuality, these four bullet points are the same four bullet points that you'll get in every communication from every business program that we that are, you know is is in our tier that we compete with, right? And so, like, think about that for a minute, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm looking at an email right now that is just like horrible. And it's from a very, very well-known uh, MBA program, which I will not reveal here. But, you know, think about it for a second. The point being, guys, that it's one thing to be differentiated from other programs, right? Competitor programs. It's another thing to understand that like you are competing. I know it's different for sure, right? But you're competing with folks who, um, with brands, right, um, who have the resources to be different, truly different in their messaging and have design resources at their fingertips to build sort of beautiful dynamic communication templates. And I think like the thing that sticks with me, and I've said this several times throughout, um, uh, you know, interviews that we've done with people and also just kind of our, our Friday segment, but I think it's really important to reiterate here because I think that this is super helpful framework for us to just remember, right? Sweet green, right? Salad company. It's like the Chipotle for like craft salads. Big fan. Shout out to Sweet Green. Um, they're trying to sell me a $10 salad, okay? Allbirds, the shoe company that your millennial children or your millennial colleagues or you love, um, they're trying to sell me a $100 pair of shoes. I'm a big Allbirds fan as well. Um, you know, got four pairs actually. So yeah, yeah, one in every color. Big fan of the wool runners in particular. Uh, anyways, Albert's is trying to sell me a hundred dollar pair of shoes. Most business schools are trying to sell me a fifty thousand dollar, you know, plus MBA. So, you know, why is it that these communications look like they all use the same constant contact or Mailchimp email template from like five years ago, and then? You know, the sweet greens of the world, the all birds of the world have these like beautiful dynamic communications that just like make me immediately fall in love with what they're offering. It's just a very interesting sort of contrast, right? And I think the big takeaway here, the importance, you know, understanding your competition, your, your competition is for anyone trying to get the attention of your prospective students. We are in, as en enrollment marketers, we are in the market for eyeball time, and we're competing with the entire inbox, not just emails from competitor schools. Lesson number two is to know why you won or why you lost. 
one of the things that we encounter a lot here when we're talking with schools and just trying to help people out is that if you have, you know, folks don't know how to evaluate the success of their Comflow, right? So like think about posting queries for a second, right? You're posting query for Comflow and if you were to go to your your team and say, hey, guys, how are we performing, right? Like what folks would probably do is they'd probably go to like, if, you know, the savvier uh, enrollment marketers on your team would just Google like, okay, what are industry benchmarks for open rates and click-through rates in higher ed, right? And they'd say, oh, like, okay, well, you know, we want to make sure like we're getting like a 35 to 45% open rate and a, you know, 12 to 15%, you know, click-through rate. And if we're getting those, like, yeah, 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 we're good. We're good, right? And, you know, that's that's helpful to an extent, right? Industry standards are helpful, but only, only to an extent, right? Like your offerings, uh, and your audience are just different, right? So the best, a, a better sort of framework is to think about like, okay, how are we doing compared to what we were doing before? What we, you know, we're doing two years ago. How, are, you know, what direction are we trending with our open rates, our click-through rates, et cetera? <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. I'm, uh, it's really early here, so I'm drinking some coffee and something uh, I think just went down the, down the wrong tube, pipe. I don't know what the phrase is, but you guys feel me. Um, anyways, so the framework that we use to think about like success, like email success or email failure is if you have a great open rate, okay? So your open rates are above those industry standards that are pushing 50, 60% maybe, right? 40% um, is even killer, right? If you have a great open rate, that means that the subject line and preview text in that email is on point, right? Like it's the whole hundred emoji, right? Like um, and, and, and that's like helpful, right? So again, if, if you're nailing that, like it's, it's way above industry standards. Okay. Like don't, don't mess with that. Right. That's, that's probably working well for you. If you have a great click through rate, that means that your email copy and design is on point, right? So click through rate, right. Being the number of people that are open the email that then go ahead and actually click through that communication, whatever, whatever that offer is. So if the cop, if, if, if that's, you know, great, if that's like 15, 25, you know, killer for like 30%, right. That'd be insane. Um, again, depending on the size of your, uh, of your list and the size of, you know, the rate at which folks are kind of like funneling themselves through your conflows, um, then you have a great click through rate, right. Don't mess with the copy. Don't mess with the design. It's working, right. If you have a great offer engagement rate, okay, another way of thinking about this is like conversion rate. So like whatever the email is promoting, if it's an inquiry form, if it's, you know, an event that you're hosting, whatever the actual offer is, if people are converting on that offer at a great uh, rate, right? So 5 to 15% um, generally is sort of like, again, this varies so much, but generally that's like a rule of thumb that you can follow then that means that the offer is relevant, right? So the thing that you're the, the thing that you're, that you're promoting in that particular email is the right thing to be promoting in that email. So when analyzing your email performance, it's really un- important to understand where you're winning and where you're losing. So if you've got a great click-through rate, but your open rate is really, really low, time to revisit that subject line and preview text, right? If you've got an awesome open rate and your click-through rate is like, ugh, right? Let's revisit the copy and the design and the format of that email. Same thing goes with the the offer engagement. So that's lesson number two. Lesson number three when it comes to email marketing is it's really important to define and identify what's in the box. So when we talk about, um, as marketers, right, one of a big, like, uh, I don't even know if it's that big. Um, It's big is not the right adjective. One of the things that people say a lot uh, 
uh, um, sort of like marketing jargon is like think outside the box, right? Like, and I think the uh, the challenge is that oftentimes, right, we don't really identify what is in the box, right? So like, how can you think outside of something that you first haven't identified um, what's what is inside of the box? So one of the, the practices that I don't do uh, all the time, but uh, try to do most of the time is when it comes to writing, let's say subject lines and preview text, or even like headline copy on a website page or, um, you know, a, a ad copy for a client, whatever it might be. What I like to do is I like to write out, um, you know, two examples. So let's use subject line and preview text as an example. I write out two complete pairs of subject line and preview text. Okay. So I write those out on like a whiteboard or these days on like my notepad. Then I draw a big circle around these ideas. And then I say, okay, these initial ideas, they are inside the box. So the first couple things that come to my that come to mind, like I've now defined what is inside the box. Now it's time to come up with a subject line and a preview text that's outside the box, right? So something that's bigger, better, um, more interesting than what initially came to mind. Sometimes I go back to that first idea that I <laughs> threw in the box, um, either because it actually was like a stroke of genius or because I was not successful in coming up with something better. But this this practice, right, this exercise, very, very important if you want to improve your uh, creative game and if you want to really just challenge yourself to think differently about like pairing and how, like, how copy um, pairs well with other forms of copy, um, in other, in other areas throughout, you know, an email of real estate, um, the, the real estate that's available in an email. So that's lesson number three. Lesson number four is be different. Okay. And this one's pretty straightforward and obvious guys, but like, can't communicate it enough, right? People are busy. Their inboxes are incredibly full. Uh, interacting with your content is not the most important thing on their to-do list. And I think sometimes what's funny is when we, when we obsess over like words in, in uh, emails, oh, th my, my personal favorite is on like website pages when faculty members are like, there's like this fight between faculty and marketing around like, what is the copy going to be on this program page? And it's like, oh my gosh, you're four paragraphs in and you're worried about these two words. Like, I hate to break it to you, but you're not that special, right? Like <laughs> prospective students are not scrutinizing this in the same way that you might be. That's really important. Send this to a faculty member that you love if um, if you're, you know, being challenged with a situation similar at the moment. So it's important to make every communication count, right? People's eyeballs, eyeball time is precious. Use really, use white space well, right? Like think about sort of like how you're breaking up copy. Make it skimmable. You know, tell a story. You've, you've got to be different, okay? Uh, easier said than done. I understand. I understand. But, right, um, if you're not different, you're just missing out on all sorts of opportunity. And there's really no point in, like, working really hard and, like, trying to, like, perfect your comp flow if it's going to look just like the comp flow down the street. Now, where this is a little bit different is, like, if there's truly something about your program that is, like, dramatically unique, right, uh, and it's a, it's a UVP that no one else really has, then by all means, okay, don't listen to anything I'm saying and keep, you know, pummeling that message but for most of us right our unique value propositions like great faculty to student ratio and you know we're more affordable um or you know like oh we give every student some financial aid like those things are just not uvps because it's what everyone is doing um so keep that in mind be different 
be different. Okay, number five, triggered communications really freaking matter. Okay, what are triggered communications, right? Those are those uh, communications you get after filling out a form or completing some you know particular offer. And what's insane about these triggered communications is that they tend to generate 80 to 90% open rates. And that's like the best open rate you are ever going to see on your emails, right? 80 to 90%. And a lot of schools really, really struggle to nail these communications. So what they end up doing is like, they'll have a subject line that's like, thank you for, you know, requesting more information. Or just like, thanks, we've received your request. Somebody will be following up with you soon, right? Like something like that. Like that's how most schools, uh, that, that is like what most schools communication flows, um, excuse me, post, um, what are these things called? Triggered communication. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's what, that's what most of them read like. And that, that's how they sound, right? This is like a total missed opportunity for engagement. 80 to 90%. You're never going to get my attention like you will on a post inquiry, um, um, you know, communication, right? So, uh, a triggered communication. So use that real estate. Well, like you should spend tons of time thinking about that less time thinking about, you know, the second paragraph and email number three of your, you know, 12 email sequence. So, uh, that one pretty much, uh, speaks for itself, but I really want to encourage us to just revisit that. Thank you trigger email, right? Throw in a cool content offer. Make sure that you've got featured stories. Make sure that you're just updating that uh, regularly. I think one of the bad habits we fall into is we set up that trigger-based communication for that inquiry form or for that event, whatever it might be. And then like it's an ongoing event or like it's, you know, it's a webinar series that happens monthly. And then we never update the the trigger-based communication. And that's a, again, a key opportunity to insert fresh content, right? Oh, hey, have you checked us out on YouTube? Hey, you know, Dr. So-and-so just did this like remarkable fireside chat with like a leader in the industry. You can view it here, right? Use that time as a way to promote additional affinity for your program, your school, et cetera. Um, so that is uh, why post communications are super important and why they really, really freaking matter. Okay. And the final lesson for us today, thank you guys for bearing with me. I'm almost done here (laughs) is when it comes to email marketing, right? I think the important, uh, one of the most important takeaways, if not the most important is to be data driven, but not data controlled. And there is like a real, uh, distinction here, right? So like, Great email marketing is part art and part science, and both are really, really, really important. But in my opinion right now, there's a dearth of great email art in higher ed communications. So, you know, consult the data. Um, make sure that you, if there is something that's, like, super notable, like, that that has to inform your communications. Um, but don't let it stifle your creativity. I think that the schools that are going to win uh, in 2021 and in 2022 and in 2023, other schools that are going to use data as a way to help define the constraints of creativity, but not let it stifle creativity. Just because blue CTAs perform better 1.5% uh, you know, of the time than orange C- CTAs do doesn't mean that you're bound to blue CTAs for the rest of your life, right? Like um, being different wins. So flex your creative muscles and um, use, use the data available to you in your, in your CRM, make sure that you're paying attention to that, especially when there are like significant 
dips between performance of like emails number four and five, for example, in a Confo, really obsess over that. Understand what's going on. Like run a variety of tests. Um, but don't, you know, decide that just because this particular subject line within ellipses gets the most open rates today, then means every single email you ever send needs to include an ellipses, okay? Well, guys, that's all I have for you. Hopefully, this was helpful. Let me know what you think about this kind of a segment. Again, it's a little bit more practical, a little bit more teaching. I It's in audio format, so it's, um, you know, a little bit harder to show you guys, like, frameworks that are um that are made you know a little bit more visual but hopefully this was at least um somewhat interesting and a little bit helpful and i look forward to your feedback all right guys until next time if you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast please reach out directly to me at zach z-a-c-h at enrollify.org We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.